do you see Jesus? This is the question that different speakers are going to be grappling with during Lent. For many of us, this question will throw up lots of different answers, some more predictable than others. Um, And the way I want to approach this question today is by sharing a little bit of my own story with you um, and attempt to explain the reason why I see Jesus quite differently as I've grown older. So my first question for you um, is, does anybody know anybody who's really good at fixing things? Jif. Anybody else? Hold on, I'll come round. Yes, everything on DIY stuff. You are very good at fixing things. Goodness me. Okay, well, I will know who to call. Any women good at fixing things? Yes? Okay, great. Well, I grew up in a house uh, where my dad, who's called Mark, he's a Methodist minister, He could fix anything. Our house was filled with dismantled computers, radios, pretty much every gadget you can think of. It sent my mum up the wall, still does. My dad has always had a fascination with figuring out how things work. He's the type of person who'll take apart a laptop just to have a better understanding of how to put it back together again. And invariably was able to sort out just about every problem I've ever had with computers. And I'm sure Megan can testify to this. Yes, it's true. Broken laptop screen, no problem. Mobile phone on the blink, there's a fix for that. I distinctly remember one Christmas before the dawn of LEDs when a fuse had gone on one of the Christmas tree lights. And my dad could be found testing each bulb until the early hours of Christmas Day morning just so that he could fix it. So I was brought up in a home where solutions would nearly always present themselves, just as long as you were willing to trawl on eBay long enough to find the right tool or spare part. And I think that having a parent like this, someone who optimistically uh, believed that if you understood the problem, there was always a solution, shaped the way that I saw Jesus as a child. Like my dad, growing up, I saw Jesus as somebody who would fix things when they went wrong. We had this picture of Jesus in our Sunday school, which I'm sure some of you are familiar with. It's like Jesus as this sort of creepy Aryan figure with like blonde flowing hair and blue eyes. Uh, It kind of looks like he's coming out of the movies. And so as a child, I think I understood Jesus as being a bit like the blonde love child of Tom Cruise and my dad. (laughs) I'm sure like Freud is just like going mental somewhere. Um, A person who I ask for it will fix any problem that I faced. And for the most part, this belief was confirmed by my experiences. Of course, the problems of a six-year-old child are quite small scale. A ballet teacher who I was terrified of. Another child who didn't want to be friends with me. Most of these problems were quickly fixed by parents who cared about their daughter and listened to my concerns. And I know that that's not the case for everybody. But when I got to about the age of 16, something happened to me, and I found myself completely overwhelmed by life and in the grip of a really dark depression. Try as I might, my prayers to Tom Cruise Jesus didn't seem to be able to fix my problems. Instead, my depressions became periods in which I felt completely cut off from Jesus because he had so evidently failed to fix my mental health problems. 
I had little energy or desire to have a relationship with him. And this was also exacerbated by my deep distrust of male authority figures. How is it possible to trust another man who seemed to abandon me when I really needed him? The depression that I experienced as a 16-year-old is now something that I live with as an adult. And I've often found myself getting angry at God for not healing my depression and sometimes looking for dramatic solutions that will distract me from my problems. Uh, dropping out of school, leaving jobs is a favorite of mine. If I leave my job, everything's going to be solved. But like so many of you will know and understand, finding those escape mechanisms ultimately are not the solution. Um, and we know that lots of people ultimately go to very dramatic and um, harmful ends. Um, we've seen Caroline Flack and, and the place that it's led her to in recent months. I'm really sorry if you're familiar with this dark place. Um, I'm really sorry if the fact that Jesus was a man makes it harder for you to trust him. And I'm sorry if Jesus didn't fix it when you really needed him to. When I was at university, uh, we had a Christian union. I did not really get on with the Christian union. They like blacklisted me from the meetings. I went to the first one when I was there uh, and I asked too many questions. And after that, they were like, you're not one of us. Uh, but one of these girls, Rachel, she, uh, she, she asked me to go for coffee with her one day. Um, and I was like, oh, she's just going to try and like reconvert me and turn me into this like do-gooding person that just made my skin crawl. Um, but actually, over the course of this coffee, Rachel got really upset and she just said, you know, I'm, I've, I've got depression too and I know that you've experienced it and so I was hoping to speak to you about it. Um, and I remember what she said to me. She said, I just don't understand why he, Jesus, God, uh, would do this to me. Um, I try to do everything right, uh, but I feel like I'm being punished. I just want this all to be over and for things to go back to normal again. Rachel, I think, had an understanding of Jesus at that point in her life um, as somebody who was all-powerful, somebody who had the ability to fix all of her problems if he chose to, but also as someone whose judgment could have real consequences for her life. Rachel understood her depression as a sign that Jesus and God were unhappy with her, that she'd done something wrong and needed to get some you know, she needed to be a better person in order to move on from, from this period. Um, and we all have heard passages in the Bible, I think, that make us feel this way. One of the ones that I find very tricky to deal with is about the mustard seed, uh, that you only need the faith of a mustard seed to move mountains. And scriptures like these are often given a great deal of attention in more evangelical communities, and sometimes I think the implication for people who are struggling is that we'd be able to heal ourselves if we had enough faith. I think that this is religion at its very worst. And I think it's a way in which certain scriptures and passages have been used to control people throughout history. But I think this targeting especially affects vulnerable communities, people of color, women, and the LGBT community. To my shame, the Church of England continues to exert power over the lives of queer people, 
giving credence to the notion that gay sexuality is not acceptable in the eyes of God. Passages like the one that we heard in Luke that speak of fire and sulfur raining down and people being left behind after the rapture can be incredibly disturbing to listen to if you were raised to fear Jesus. The image of Christ as the Almighty, as someone who will mete out punishments against us, is still one that holds remarkable power over people. And it can be incredibly difficult to move away from this image of Christ if it's such a foundational part of your belief system. And I'm sorry if this belief is one that you were taught as a child. I'm sorry if you go through life feeling that God is unhappy with you. And I'm sorry if it's ever stopped you from living your life the way you want to. Whilst I still live with depression, I'm pleased to say that in recent years, my understanding of who Jesus is in relation to this part of my identity has changed dramatically. It's been a slow process, but one of the things that has really, really changed the way I see Jesus is by reading the writing of women who are described as mystics. I know what some of you are thinking when I use the language of mysticism here. Mysticism, it's all a bit woo-woo, isn't it? Horoscopes, tarot cards, Russell Brand. Well, I looked up uh, a dictionary definition of what mysticism is, who these mystical writers are. Mysticism is a belief that focuses on the union with a divine being. And it has a particular focus on contemplation and experiences that, are, that transcend our everyday lives. So far from being woo-woo, in my opinion, mysticism has a really long tradition within Christian thought. In fact, the woman who wrote the earliest surviving book in the English language was a mystic and a nun called, the Ju called Julian of Norwich. Her book, called The Revelations of Divine Love, describes 16 visions that Julian had at the age of 30 when she was extremely ill. It's in one of these revelations that Jesus tells Julian that all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Jesus speaks directly to this woman, and instead of admonishing her, reassures her during her period of suffering. Another mystic, uh, Simone Weil, was a French philosopher and activist who, who was believed to have suffered from anorexia. She describes in her writings how Christ came down and took possession of her, and that experience transformed her life. Her understanding of suffering was that it's the people who are capable of experiencing suffering who are the same souls able to experience profound spiritual joy. She was clear that suffering does not follow from sin. And I think this duality that, you know, if you're in a really dark place, often you can have these moments of kind of ecstasy, um, epiphanies. That's something that really speaks to me. I can be incredibly low one week, and then the next week I can be on a total spiritual high. I don't understand why that's the case. But reading Simone Weil uh, really resonates with my experience of mental illness. On some days, it will feel beautiful and terrible at the same time. My feeling is that we've tended not to focus on these thinkers, largely because they're women, 
but also because they offer a subversive way of seeing Jesus, one which challenges traditional power structures and teachings about Christ. Suffering is not punishment, but is instead a way in which some people might come to have a different perspective on their life. For these women, Jesus is not some powerful overlord waiting to cast judgment on people, but rather he communes with us in our suffering. He is part of our suffering and joy. He dwells in the everyday. And he's also somebody who understands our suffering because of our own earthly human experiences. So the mystic writer who I think has helped me most on my own journey is Etty Hillison, um, whose diary we heard earlier on. Etty was about my age and living in Holland when the Nazis took power. And Jews like her were being taken to labor camps. And she, the diaries are absolutely incredible. I'd really encourage you to read them. They sit as a kind of um, an alternative to Anne Frank, I would say, um, and offers a perspective of somebody who's slightly older. She was somebody who loved her life. She was quite privileged. Um, but throughout the course of these diary entries, you see her go from somebody who is quite kind of, I would call her a bougie lit woman, if that means anything to any of you. You know, she's a bit like, she's a bit up herself. Um, but as the diaries progress, her faith is completely transformed. And you see somebody who is really grappling with these profound, deep questions of what it means to be a human. And what, what does her life mean given the fact that she will inevitably die over the court, you know, within the space of months. And in those diary entries, she is able to articulate joy. She's able to articulate a, a sense of peace that Jesus is with her during these times. I find the distinction that Etty makes between suffering and fear quite interesting. She says that in the West, actually, we don't understand suffering. Um, and that instead we experience a thousand fears instead. Suffering has always and will always be with us, but I believe that the way that we relate to our suffering can change. What matters is how we bear it and how it fits into our lives. For the longest time, my depression was something that I thought needed to be fixed. I was really ashamed of it. And I felt that it was a sign of God's absence in my life. But increasingly, I have been able to change this attitude. My depression actually enables me to connect with others and to see Jesus differently. It's when I'm at my most vulnerable that I'm argu arguably at my most human. It provides me with understandings about pain and, and human experiences and I'm mindful that, you know, compared to Etty and compared to the experiences of many other communities around the world, depression is something that is perhaps not on the extremes of those experiences. Throughout Lent, we will think about Christ in the run-up to his crucifixion. And we see somebody who is clearly battling his own demons, isolated and alone in the wilderness. Knowing that Jesus had such an experience um, is one that consoles me. And I'd encourage you to spend some time over the next week reflecting on Jesus' exper Jesus's experience in the wilderness. 
When I do so, I encounter a human who is in pain, somebody who knows depression and who is terrified about what the future holds for him. Did Jesus suffer and feel the profound silence of God in his time of need? I think so. Did Jesus want his dad, Tom Cruise, to fix things for him? Of course. Take this cup, he says. In Luke's gospel, we hear that the kingdom of God is within you. It's not in the places that you think it might be. It's within you as the person that you are right now, with all that pain, with all the things that you're embarrassed about, and with all the crap that you encounter on a day-to-day basis. When we start to see Jesus as someone who we are already in relationship with, I think we can slowly start to manage the misconceptions we have about suffering in our lives. And despite everything, and I hold on to this, life is beautiful and worth living. So, may you start to see Jesus differently over the coming weeks. May you see his pain and his vulnerability and his humanness. And may you feel his presence in the middle of your suffering and joy. Amen.